0: Do you know why abusive leaders who are not true shepherds berate bleeding and bleeding sheep? It is because they do not want to be reminded of the damage done to God's flock by their rod. A true shepherd does not beat the sheep into submission. A true shepherd is marked by humility and a desire to serve and to follow Christ in that example. A true shepherd of God's sheep understands proper authority and biblical submission, and he knows that he is under authority with Christ as the head of the church. A true shepherd understands that the sheep are not his, but they are God's. And mistreatment of God's sheep will come with judgment from the shepherd himself. It is okay to bleed. It is okay to cry out and to express the pain. At the same time, we are reminded to cast our cares on Christ. We are to trust the good shepherd who restores our soul. He binds up our wounds. He heals our broken hearts. And we are to run to God and to follow him. You just heard an excerpt from my latest blog post featured on Love Scribe. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Scribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the One who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I'm Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Scribe. It was a year ago in October that I came out publicly repenting for my time as a false prophet in the NAR slash hypercharismatic church. And I have received numerous emails from people sharing their personal stories of coming out of specific movements, particularly the NAR slash hypercharismatic church. And it brings a dual effect of comfort and heartbreak. And when you've come out of one of these environments because of false accusations, confusion, manipulation, control, seeing the truth of the Word of God, whether that's just a a glimpse of it and beginning to follow that trail and to um, unravel. And for lack of a better word, deconstruct, there are other people that use that word deconstruct, but there actually is some deconstruction that takes place when you're coming out of this. And if you're uh, a true follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to reconstruct and and unlearn some things and come back to the truth of his word. You tend to think when you're coming out of all this, you tend to think you're the only one going through it. And when you hear others sharing scarily similar situations, you realize this is a rampant problem. You can see your own error in following unbiblical principles and even perpetuating the behavior at times. And I've most definitely fall into that category. I don't want to call myself a victim, but I, I not only was part of this system that fell prey to it, let me say that, but I was also perpetuating a lot of these behaviors and these teachings and the way things were conducted, defending leaders and such through the years. So you do tend to see not only their error, but yours as well, if you're really looking and, and wanting to be truthful about what's going on. I do not like throwing around the word abuse because that's that's a heavy word to use. There are churches where biblical principles are applied and where leaders adhere to the qualifications for elders found in Scripture. There are good, solid churches out there where where there is truth being taught and where there is the, the love of God and the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is really desired and cultivated. However, spiritual abuse is a legitimate occurrence in movements such as the NAR, and it is also something that many may not talk about out of shame, humiliation, guilt, anger, fear, or all of the above. Spiritual abuse can be defined as when a spiritual authority seeks to control individuals and ensure obedience. Now, I got this list, this compilation of what the spiritual abuse slash spiritual manipulation could include so this is not an exhaustive list by any means and some of the things I'm going to share with you today are not exhaustive in nature but here are some things that may be red flags to look for or warning signs that there could be some spiritual abuse going on manipulation and exploitation enforced accountability censorship of decision making requirements for secrecy and silence Coercion to conform, which would be an inability to ask questions, a control through the use of sacred texts or teaching, the requirement of obedience to the abuser, the suggestion that the abuser has a divine position, isolation as a means of punishment, and superiority and elitism. So maybe you can relate to some of these red flags. I can certainly relate to several of these, but I was colorblind to the flags at the time, or I simply ignored behavior, dismissing it or passing it off as just part of what we were in and, and that it was normal. I know that sounds weird, but I did that. For instance, I remember an incident years ago overseas on a mission trip with a leader. I remember being in, in that vehicle, and that leader wanted to hear worship music, so he told me to sing. And at the time, I felt really awkward doing that and put on the spot, so I didn't do anything. I just sat there in silence for a moment. I can't remember how long it was, but it probably seemed like an eternity with feeling that awkwardness. A leader sitting next to me leaned over and whispered, you need to do what he says. That was a situation that I can recall, along with many other situations of seeing how other leaders were treated, and, and the list goes on and on, or even hearing after the fact about how leaders were treated how people were treated that came out of the apostolic network, and you end up finding out there's a lot more people that are affected than just yourself. What are some red flags that many may be colorblind to? We're going to discuss this right now. And let me just say that for those that may not be able to handle this type of talk, because of situations you come out of, feel free to click off. I'm going to share some of my personal testimony in this and some of the things that happened to me. When I was coming out of this at near the end. And um, some of this may be for the lack of a better word, it may be triggering to people. But the main goal of this, and really praying beforehand is that I want these podcasts to help people to glorify God and to help people in their healing process, to guide them back to the truth of the word to help them in understanding that there are solid Bible teaching churches out there that are going to help you. And being in those environments is also going to help heal you in the process. Because when you understand what the word of God says in, in the true context, and you um, encounter godly leaders that really want to honor God and are not about themselves or not about the business of ministry, or they're not in the serving their own agenda, or they don't want to control you and manipulate you and beat you into submission, so to speak and I use that term not uh, literally, but metaphorically, beating you into submission in these situations, then it, it brings great freedom and liberty in your life as a believer in Christ. And then you begin to understand what true submission to authority looks like based on biblical understanding. And we'll talk a little bit about that. And then at the end, we'll talk about how do we heal? Where do we go? Where, what's the path forward? After you come out of a situation that maybe you have been beaten with with words and with the the doctrine in those situations and that you're bleeding meaning that you're crying out and you're bleeding meaning that you're actually showing that you're alive and that you're hurt and you're wounded and you need help you need to be healed there's a biblical way to go about this and some things to consider that are good that might be good suggestions for you if you're listening to this and this applies to you to consider and to think about So let's discuss some of these red flags that we may see along the way. The first one I want to talk about is the culture of honor slash loyalty with fear. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, loyalty and honor is a big deal in these types of environments. Loyalty to the leader is emphasized. It could be understood that should someone leave, association with that person is frowned upon or even viewed as being dishonorable to the leader. I can recall many situations where this happened. Where even people, not even myself, but other situations where people had been around people that had left, they may have been seen on social media, in pictures, or they went to one of their church services, or what have you, they were around them. And they may have had someone, whether that leader themselves or another leader, a staff member, talk with that person and express that that was really frowned upon. And it was kind of understood in this in this culture in this environment that you you didn't associate with those people, and that, that especially if they really left on bad terms. That according to what we were told of one side, that you really didn't associate with those people. That those people were religious, or they were rebellious, or they were offended. They had a spirit of some sort. So usually a, a spirit it's it's spiritualized, and some spirit is assigned to that person that uh, that marks them as not suitable to speak with. But there was always this underlying tone, again, that I was, I ignored or just thought it was normal that you were loyal to the leader. And even in behavior that was demonstrated that you defended, you defended to the hilt. That's what you did. You were defending, you honored. So there was this culture there of that loyalty and that honor. And being around those people that left was frowned upon. How you even interacted with them on social media may be affected at times, such as commenting on their posts or even being friends with them. You know, people may look at you and say, oh, or they would say, oh, I'm not even friends with that person. You know, know, I'm just, I don't even associate with them any longer. So different things like that, that that took place or spending time with them, as I said. And for those who left and were socializing together, there may be remarks, as I said, made about them having familiar spirits, being drawn to one another out of offense or rebellion. Social media is a big one in our culture, just in general in our culture. Some leaders may monitor social media accounts of church members, making sure that they share events and conferences from the church. Or if there are any announcements from the church that that are wanting to be shared, so that way more people will come to that event or that conference, then there were instances where people would get in trouble or they would have things said to them in a negative way that they weren't sharing enough that they were they were not promoting that ministry like they should be individuals may even get into trouble for attending another minister's conference and how would anybody know or why would anybody care if someone else if you t- attended someone else's conference well they would know because someone was watching that online feed and they saw them on the camera and so th- those people would have something said to them in a negative way that they were dishonoring the leader, that they had no business going there, so on and so forth. And if you think I'm exaggerating, these are instances that I know personally of people that these things happen to. These things do go on and it's much more rampant and much more problematic than some people understand it to be, but it does happen. And it begins to take on this cult. I'm not saying I was part of a cult, okay? But it does have cultish type tendencies to it when you're saying you must honor the leader you need to be you need to submit to them you need to do all these things the, submit to their vision you know when you're talking about not having a plurality of elders for example and you're having one leader that that leader calls the shots and no one else holds them accountable questions are not allowed you know if you do allow them then they're twisted in such a way that it, it's manipulative and we'll talk <laughs> some of these things overlap as you're going to find out in these red flags but when you start to have that kind of environment, then it's not its not healthy, it's not biblical, it's not scriptural, and it does a lot of damage. And that's why I want to talk about this, is because this creates damage in people, and some people even walk away from the faith, which is, it's, it's heartbreaking. Because they probably never, they may never have heard the gospel, I can't say that for certain, they may never have heard the gospel, true gospel, but they're walking away from something that was deceptive in nature. And it was, it was abusive in some aspects. So social media is a big one. Uh, And so going to conferences, if you're caught going to a conference that uh, would be frowned upon because maybe that leader doesn't like that leader that's, that's overseeing that conference, and that was to be found out, there could be repercussions from that. There could be um, a tongue lashing, so to speak, that could come from that. Uh, This goes back to loyalty and honor to the leader. And to give you a personal example, uh, in one of the meetings that I was called into near the end when with with what happened with me personally, which I won't get into all the details about that. But in the second meeting that I was in with this particular leader, the leader mentioned how another individual expressed no longer wanting to be under his leadership. And his response to this was that that was damning. That to me, and at the time, again, that was like a I was very colorblind to that that flag. It was just a statement that was made, and I ignored it. but when i when I went back and thought about that statement, I realized, wow, to to say that that it's damning, that's basically condemning someone to hell for not submitting to that particular leader. I want you to to ponder on that and think about that the ramifications of that the extent the the belief the doctrine of that that is dangerous doctrine to believe such a thing that is dang- that's putting someone self that's almost equating oneself on the same level as Christ and we shall talk about this right now, because ephesians one twenty two, I want to read this to you. This is a simple scripture, but it helps us to see in perspective, who is the ultimate authority. Who is the ultimate authority in the church? And to be reminded that the the sheep don't belong to uh, the a leader of a church. They belong to Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22 says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. So Christ is the is the ultimate head and our loyalty is to Christ. That's who our loyalty is to. And anybody, any leader who would try to say, well, you must be loyal to me. You must submit to me as the ultimate authority. You must do A, B, and C in order to to show honor to me and to, to demand honor and demand loyalty, and then to, at the same time, to infiltrate this type of underlying fear that something will happen to you if you leave, that you'll come out from underneath the spiritual covering of the church and something bad will happen to you, sickness will come on you and the devil will start attacking you and veiled threats that will try to come from that or that you won't fulfill your destiny by leaving that church. Where are we told in Scripture that we have a, a destiny that we're supposed to fulfill and that, that God has to fulfill it? We're not told that. What we are told to do is to make disciples. We are to make disciples of Christ. We are to minister the gospel. We are to proclaim Christ and Christ crucified and Christ resurrected. That is what we are supposed to fulfill. God is not obligated, nor is, are we, to to fulfill some sort of Destiny that that God has for us. He has a plan that He wants to fulfill in our lives, and that plan is to proclaim the gospel and to make disciples for Him and to glorify Him and to keep it centered on Him, not centered on any other person or any other individual or to fulfill their vision or your vision. We are to obey and honor our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And He is the one that we have uh, we hold allegiance to and are loyal to the second one i want to talk about are what i'd like to call bully tactics now i've heard people talk about this uh as far as like the bully pulpit or in other uh in other instances especially like in a physical pulpit but again in the in the day and age that we live in social media can also become a a platform for people to stand on and to proclaim whatever they want to proclaim as we are fully aware when we watch social media or listen to it. But bully tactics can be through different routes, such as preaching from the pulpit, through surveillance of social media. Um, Some teachings and remarks can be used to beat the sheep. Now, again, I don't say that literally, though some people, I mean, sadly, there may be some people that were in churches that have been in churches where they got physically abused. But what I'm talking about is metaphorically beating the sheep into submission, using certain words, having passive aggressive tendencies or sharing stories without names of those who were viewed as coming against the leader and who left and discussing what bad things that happened to them, such as maybe they died shortly after they left or they had bad illnesses or they had hardships or financial difficulties that came upon them and not talking about those people. That's a passive aggressive way in a sense of doing that. But. Also, it's, it's instilling fear in people because if you talk about those people and you use those examples in your preaching, in your ministry time, in the pulpit, then you're conveying a message to people. Well, you better not come against the leader because if you do that, then bad things are going to happen to you. If you leave the spiritual covering, bad things are going to happen to you because you're coming against the anointed of God. Spiritual terms are assigned to people, as I said, even spirits such as Jezebel, if you're especially a woman, but you don't have to be because there's also preaching and teaching that goes on in these churches that uh, men can also have a Jezebel spirit, which, by the way, I just remind you, there is no Jezebel spirit that's even mentioned in Scripture. Uh, Jezebel spirit is nowhere to be found in Scripture. There is a woman named Jezebel in the Old Testament in uh, 1 Kings, and there's also a woman mentioned in Revelation 3 for the, the church one of the seven churches that Jesus is rebuking one of the seven churches and saying, you tolerate that woman Jezebel, but doesn't say spirit. And it says that he gave her time to repent. Well, you don't give a spirit time to repent after someone's died. They don't have time to repent after that. So there's no teaching of a Jezebel spirit anywhere in scripture, but this term is thrown out a lot. There. And there's a lot of teaching. I sat under a lot of teaching. I still have the books on those teachings for my uh, research library, but I have teachings I sat under for years listening about these different spirits, and especially the Jezebel. I mean, the, it's ad nauseum, the amount of books that are out about Jezebel. They talk about uh, evil spirits, uh, religious spirits, um, having an orphan spirit, having a rebellious spirit, having an offended spirit. I mean, there's spirits all over, but you know, they don't want to address sinful flesh and talking about that and really providing biblical counsel if they feel like that there's a true problem. Instead, people are demonized. Reacting to social media posts is an, in a negative way is another way of a bully tactic, such as with comments from the leader themselves or in a mob style from loyal followers. I saw this take place. If someone posted something on social media, then the entourage that followed that leader, it was like a mob mentality. Those people would jump on, and they would begin to make comments, and they would begin to rebuke that person and say things. Also, the leader may post in such a way that is passive in naming names, yet aggressive in its rhetoric. And I'm going to give a couple of personal examples. I have not shared publicly except to and as far as saying that they were tied to me or seemed to be tied to me except for the fact um, of maybe writing about them much earlier on in a third person type way. One of the things that happened when I was initially starting what kicked off me coming out of this was attending a couple of special meetings at our church going to the leadership after that expressing concerns I was not the only one that did so, but expressing concerns about some of the things that were ministered and such. And along with other, there was other things I talked to leadership that had nothing to do with that. But I had gone with my husband to talk to the leadership about some concerns I had after that service. And in the process, I also posted a a uh, Facebook post that I liked. It had nothing to do with those meetings. I just liked it because I had at the time under to do with prophetic ministry because I still thought I was a prophet and you know on and on and on. So I shared this post from a leader who this apostle did not like. And when I say apostle, I'm saying that in air quotes. Okay. So this apostle did not like this leader, and he felt he felt um, that I was attacking him through this post. So he came on and began to comment on the post. And was, you know, saying that anyone who understands the prophetic ministry, you know, is, is going to, you know, not say this, this, and this. And that, um, that if, if we don't understand the prophetic, that maybe we should, we should not say certain things and we should um, not minister out of a wounded place. So again, there was a passive aggressiveness there that was going on. But he was commenting on there, which he never commented on my post. So he commented on there. I responded back. That was a big mistake as far as what he viewed it as. I don't view it as a mistake because I, I, it was my page and I responded back accordingly and respectfully. He responded back, I responded back, and it left at that. It was a few days later that a meeting was called with me by him and my husband asked my husband if he could go. He said yes. So the meeting was called initially because of the Facebook post. Now, as, as time went on before the meeting happened, he ended up finding out about the, the private meeting that we had with the local leadership and he parlayed that to say that that was what the meeting was about. During that hour and 15 minute dialogue on my post, there were a couple of posts that seemed to be related to what was going on in our dialogue. One of the posts that he made was this during our dialogue on his on his feed. Prophets without accountability can become witches using their gift to manipulate others, beware. And of course that gets a lot of likes, it gets 1,100 likes and comments, it gets 1,200 shares, saying things like that. That was one post that seemed to be, um, seemed to be related to to what we were talking about, and maybe had been directed in my pointed in my direction. There was a second post that same morning that was made a little while later, and it said, "If you are under a leader and you don't submit to them, you are a rebel, no matter what spiritual language you wrap it in." Again, so th- this is an example I'm showing you, and I have one more here that happened the following day. And this one in particular, there was a leader that came to me in the church and said, and during the conversation, I mentioned that I had seen this post on his feed, on the the Apostles feed. And this leader specifically said to me, "I, I was hoping you didn't see this post because I knew it was aimed at you and directed at you. So what was this post the following day that afternoon? There was another post said, Samuel did not focus on accuracy alone as his qualification for the prophetic mandate. He shifted culture, established sons, and trained multitudes. Samuel prophets are builders. You can post well, blog, and issue loads of rebukes, but what have you built? And I saw that post uh, when at the time when it happened, I can laugh at it now. I can be lighthearted about it now. At the time, it was just, it just, there, I, I couldn't even put into words what, what I, th- what I thought about that, but I realized that there was a big target on me at that point. So these posts were made talking about different things and accusations and such. This is an example of a bully tactic. I, I mean, I I would label this as a bully tactic. This has a passive aggressive uh, tone to it that you're not talking directly to that person, but you're saying something about them and it gets a lot of hearts and likes and shares because it seems edgy but it's bullying. It's bullying people in such a way that you want to get your point across. You know, people are not allowed, as obvious people are not allowed to voice their own thoughts on their own social media account and to come on there and to respond back and forth in dialogue. Dialogue seems to be something that is a rarity these days, it seems like. it. It's it's something that we need to get back to even when we don't agree with people. We need to be willing to dialogue And unfortunately, what you find in some of these movements is even if you do have questions, like it said that you you can bring your questions, but if you bring your questions, then it's twisted in such a way that you're made out to be the villain that you in the and the leaders the victim i'll get to that in a moment but the vic, the the leaders the victim the leaders the one that's that's always the the bright shining star they don't do anything wrong they they're the ones that are always trying to be so helpful to people and and so gracious and they do so much for people and they're trying to assist them and help them and and it's just not appreciated and so it gets turned around there's there's no uh call when you try to call for even if you were try to call for accountability um It's just not there because they are viewed as the sole authority in that church, and there's no one to hold them accountable, and they've created it in such a way. And that was a church I came out of. The third uh, aspect I want to talk about is control. So control can be requiring submission to the leader. When I was called into those meetings and those two meetings, the charges or accusations, I should say, that the accusations that were brought against me was, and mind you, it was my husband and I that went, not just me, to the lead to the local leadership and expressed concerns about what was being ministered that those two evenings, and the things some of the th- some of the things that were said. That I was accused of rebellion. I was accused of rebellion and dishonor and not understanding apostolic and prophetic protocol. End of all this, I was given a letter with a thirty-day time frame for me to make a decision if I was going to submit to the authority and, and to the leadership of the apostle and also to a, to submit to a prophet or an appointed representative of his choosing to evaluate me to find out what was wrong with me. And then that appointed representative was to report back to him. And then from there, it would be determined if I was fit to be reinstated back under his authority of uh, his uh, ministerial umbrella. I was removed from any sort of uh serving whatsoever i guess you could call it church discipline but again it was not clear as to what the church discipline was for there was no rebellion because i went and asked questions and this this is the type of control i'm talking about it's you either you submit to me as the leader you need to do submit to evaluation you need to uh, do this and do that in order to show i guess allegiance i guess um to show honor and loyalty this was the first time by the way too in the 18 years that i was there this was the first time that this we had never been called into a meeting i had never been called into a meeting ever and they even mentioned that during the the meetings i had never been called into a meeting until that time never So accusations and stipulations for being reinstated to ministry uh, can be done through control, being threatened with bringing in other apostles to help handle the situation. That was something else that happened in the second meeting I was part of that I was called into. Um, There was a statement made about, you know, if we had to bring in other apostles, then we'll do that to handle this and saying, you know, nine out of 10 apostles would not bother to have a second meeting with you. You know, this is a complete waste of my time, but I I have better things to do with my time. And I know you have better things to do with your time, but I know this needs to be resolved. Um, the mere asking of questions, which I've, I've mentioned this before, but I was so ignorant and biblically illiterate. Uh, you know, I read my Bible, but I didn't study it and understand it in the in the proper context. I The questions I asked were, simplistic. I, I mean, they weren't even on a biblical level to even say, okay, well, this is what scripture says. So why are you saying it this way? I'm sure that that would have gone over really well if I would have done that. <laughs> you know, thinking back, I, I thought, well, you know, if I would have asked those kinds of questions, I'm sure that would have gone over really well. Like a lead balloon, it would have gone over really well. <laughs> but the mere asking of questions is not only non-permissible, but it's viewed as rebellion. So any questions that, that could be asked, would be deemed as oh well you think that you're that you're the the arbiter the judge here you want to judge other people because you think you're better than them you know it could be things like that uh, demands for submission and obedience or punishment so these were the the things I sat in church discipline for or quote church discipline for six weeks not able to do anything I couldn't even print off prayer requests I wasn't even permitted to print off prayer requests I mean that's how that's how uh, um, I don't want to say deep because it, that seems really that really seems superficial, but I had been printing off prayer requests for the ministry from my own home, and then that was I was not even allowed to do that to take to Tuesday morning prayer time. You know, thing it got to that point I was not allowed to do anything in any capacity, and uh, to serve in the ministry during those six weeks. And then after the six weeks, I was contacted by the apostle and uh, asked where my heart was on the situation. And I, and at the time I knew there was a letter because in, in one of them, in the second meeting, uh, he had made it clear that there was a letter that was to be given to me. But based on my answer of not being able to say definitively, uh, yeah, I can submit to you as an apostle and submit to a prophet of your choosing to personally evaluate me to find out what's wrong with me. And of course he did, granted, he said that was fair. That to give me time to pray about it, but he said he had a letter in his possession. He had it in his hands, and he said, "We're going to file it away." And based on your answer today, I'm not going to give it to you today. So that letter, I asked him for the letter six weeks later when he emailed me the day after Easter, and so he sent me the the letter, and it basically was a template that was used from another ministry, and uh, that he did not write. He had someone else write it, and so um, and I'm telling you these things because that this is factually what happened and so i was given that letter and there was a 30-day ultimatum in there there was a 30-day time frame now some people may not like the use of that word that's that's control by the way they may not like the use of that term control why do i say that because if you assign a the use the word ultimatum should i say i use the word ultimatum because what would have happened 30 days after that if i would have said no i can't do this not because of the local leadership but i don't think that i i know i would not have been welcomed in that church So we decided to leave quietly, to leave quietly. So this is another level, control, requiring that you you must submit to the leader. You must submit to the the apostle. Uh, you're You're in rebellion if you don't do that. You have a spirit of some sort. You're trying to govern that apostle just by asking questions or that leader, whoever may not even be an apostle. Teaching from personal revelation is another level of control. And this happened while I was going through my ordeal. Uh, During the time when I was when I was sat down under church discipline, there's a lot of stuff that took place that I'm not going to talk about today because I would be speculating as far as uh, a particular incident incident that happened because of prophetic activation saying needed to be brought in Uh, again because that the uh, the group of people that came with him during those meetings said that there was something wrong with me and that there was something wrong with the prophetic atmosphere of the house there. And I was known as the quote, some people referred to me there as like the house prophet there, like the local house prophet as one of them. There were a few others that identified themselves as prophets. That was one of the accusations that was launched against me uh, as well. And I was targeted, even though that apostle said, you know, there's other people that seem to be displeased with the, the ministering that, that went on. You were the main one they focused on, of course. I'm sorry. I shouldn't say it like that. But when you are, you're going after somebody that, uh, because they, they actually go and ask questions as opposed to just not saying a word and going with the flow, then that's, that's rather telling. But teaching from personal revelation. So this actually happened, and I have the, for lack, of, for lack of a better word, I have the receipts to back this up. While I was sitting for six weeks under church discipline for rebellion that was not made clear as to why it was rebellion, dishonor there was required teaching for several campuses on soul trauma on healing soul trauma and the teaching was centered on an ebook written by the leader and there's social media posts to back this up to to prove that this happened i i want to say that these went on for three or four weeks uh, but they the the teaching was supposed to be centered around his ebook why are we not ministering centered around scripture this probably goes into another realm of saying, well, someone considers themselves an apostle, so this is this is what they're going to do is this is apostolic teaching. The fourth red flag to consider is, is the presentation as the leader being the victim. I mentioned this a few minutes ago, expressing how much they have done for the defector and how they are the one being mistreated. So there were a lot of stories. I had to repent on my part. There were people I reached out to that um, I heard things about them and I never had the... I never bothered to go to them and to hear their side of it. I always listened to what the leader said, and I defended them to the over the years. I defended them and stood up for them and believed what they said. I never questioned it. But the the there will be leaders that can express what they've done for these people that leave. They'll slander them. They'll say things about them, make false accusations about them. They'll write letters about them and send them out to people to basically you know, make it even more, more broad. So that way they can get their story out first before the other person has any time to speak whatsoever. So they'll slander people in that, in that way. There's gaslighting that goes on. I don't know if you've ever heard of the, the movie called Gaslight. It's an old movie where uh, a man was doing specific things. Uh, Things to his wife in order to, at the end of it, he was wanting to find the jewels that were hidden in the house from her aunt, I believe, who had died, but he was doing different things like taking paintings off the walls, or he was dimming the lights, and when she'd say, do the lights seem dimmer, and he was like, no, the lights don't seem dimmer, that's called gaslighting, Um, there can be gaslighting that goes on, trying to act like there's something blatantly going on, but then saying, no, that's actually not what's going on, that's gaslighting, Uh, Being told how many people I had offended through the years, I was told this in one of the meetings, saying, do you know how many people you've offended through the years? How many people have left this church they've left by the droves because of you? But there was no mention of this. In all the 18 years I was there, there was no mention of this. Now, I don't want to say this. I talked to a sister in Christ that was part of this ministry as well years ago, and she made a statement to me that has stuck with me for quite some time and i am not putting all of the blame on that ministry but i will say this because i have to take responsibility for my own actions there was there's some truth to what she was saying she was telling me one day in a, she'd reached out to me and we started talking and i had apologized to her for not coming to her and at least speaking with her and you know just shutting down communication after something happened in the ministry when she was there and they, and she left with her family there was just there's a lot of casualties spiritual casualties unfortunately in this environment that i came out of and and I know I'm not alone. This is not an isolated incident. But we were talking on the phone and she made a comment to me and said, Dawn, that place made me mean. And I have thought about what she said for quite some time and I realize that indeed, I mean, certainly I can have a, I very much can have a very direct and blunt personality about me. And I acknowledge that. And asking God to give me patience and to remind myself of the fruits of the Spirit, to be gentle and kind and patient and long, so, you know, um, and have self-control. So, you know, I'm I'm not passing the buck by any means. I acknowledge my error in this movement. I acknowledge my my error in not cultivating fruit of the spirit. Having said that, there was this environment of being very mean, uh, mean spirited to people, being angry uh, at times, being uh, calling it being prophetic or direct or blunt when it was just rude, and so. I very much agree with what she said being in that that em, environment just made me mean and so I I take the time now if there's anybody listening to this that was in that ministry and I was like that to you I repent I repent. There were times that I saw things. I thought I was doing stuff in righteousness. That I like a righteous anger or righteous indignation because of not being loyal to the apostle and such. Um, and I repent of that. I and I sincerely hope, pray that and ask that you would forgive me for that type of. Um, those types of actions. Those are not godly. That is not ministering of the Holy Spirit. That is not showing the fruits of the Spirit according to Galatians 5, and I repent of those types of actions. Again, I don't want to paint myself as the victim here um, that just fell prey to this and and gave myself to the deception of all this, but I also perpetuated some of this, being part of this ministry, and for that, I repent of that. Number five is uh, manipulation. The Lord told me, that, which removes the ability to question. So in the second meeting that I was in before the, quote, church discipline was handed down after my answer of being indecisive of submission, prior to that, the manipulation was, well, I prayed about this and the Lord told me that this is what's going on in this situation. That completely shuts down any ability to question because when you say the Lord told me, and you're saying that you think you're an apostle and you're saying that, then that removes the ability for anybody to, uh, to question what's being said, to offer up any concerns or anything like that of the nature. And so manipulation plays into this. Some leaders may use Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17. I want to read that to you here. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. It's it's proof texting for submission. And in my case, I was given two pages of scripture referring to my rebellion. Um, Oddly enough, the verses quoted on on this letter that I have were pertaining to rebellion against God. So this can speak volumes to the perception in these movements of leaders and their position. When referencing Hebrews 13, 17, I want you to notice when it says, Obey your leaders and to submit to them uh, for keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. I, I want you to take note of something here. We see different types of authority in the earth, from government leaders all the way down to the husband's role in the home. So we again remember that Christ is the head and the ultimate authority, and we then recognize true apostolic authority displayed in Scripture, as I've stated, by the apostles of Christ. And it is good to remember that we are still under apostolic teaching via Scripture, and these men were carried along by the Holy Spirit and were given the Word of God. Um, the, when we So we see authority, but I would like to point out here something that's important. There are qualifications for godly leaders. Uh, elders and pastors were appointed underneath by the apostles to oversee the local churches. I want to go to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-3. through 3. It says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. There are qualifications for leaders in the church. Peter is exhorting these leaders and telling them that they are to shepherd the flock of God, and he's telling them how they are to do it. They're not to do it under compulsion, but willingly. And they're not to do it for shameful gain, but eagerly and they're not to domineer over those in their charge but being examples to the flock so a godly leader is going to understand this now we are to respect leaders in spiritual matters, and I'm not, you know, I'm not dismissing that and saying, well, we need to just be do whatever we want to and and to not be respectful to leaders. First Thessalonians chapter five verses twelve and thirteen, Paul says here, we we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. We are to respect leaders in spiritual matters. What we're not told to do is to give our allegiance to them and to submit completely to them as the sole leader and to submit to their authority and whatever they say, we must do it. By the way, there's also qualifications for leaders. Pastors and elders in the church, they have guidelines that they are to follow from Scripture in order to be labeled as godly leadership. One of the qualifications for leaders can be found in Titus chapter 1, verses 5-9. through 9. Paul says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self controlled, upright, Holy and disciplined, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. The apostles were the ones that laid out these guidelines, the apostles of Christ whose teaching we are still under, by the way. I know I've said that a couple of times, but we need to remember that. We are still under apostolic teaching. The qualifications for leaders, they are also found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-7. through This is what it has to say. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. As we can see here, there are qualifications again for leaders. One of the biggest things that stands out to me is understanding sound doctrine and teaching it and rebuking it to those who contradict it. Th- this was not adhered to. And this is a troubling part for me. And I hope it's a troubling part for you because... Godly leaders are to hold to what Scripture says. They are going to be accountable to that. They're going to be accountable to to their treatment of God's sheep. They're going to be accountable to how they treated the bride of Christ. And they're going to be accountable to... How they've taught the word of God, how they've ministered. Teachers are going to be under stricter judgment. They're going to be held under harsher uh, guidelines, according to James. It's not about charismatic preaching. It's not about how loud you can yell or how deep your revelation is. It's extra biblical. Your qualification as a leader has to abide by Scripture, and your character must do such. And and it all even says outsiders must must think well of you, that there can't be a snare for the devil in, in these situations for these leaders. So. Mark chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus says, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Leaders in the churches are marked by humility. They want to serve others. They, they want to um, exemplify as Christ did, according to Philippians. Philippians 2 is talking about how Christ humbled himself. He became a servant, essentially. And it's showing the model that we are to follow, that we are to also be servants, that we are to also serve others. And to follow the example of our Lord and Savior in his doing so. So this kind of helps you understand that there is some authority. We are under authority under Christ, but there is some authority that's set in the earth. But it's set according to the standard of the word of God, not according to what a man says or what someone thinks that if they think they're an apostle and they're not abiding by the teachings of the word of God. Now, the last thing I want to share with you is healing after spiritual abuse. I think that this is an ongoing process, especially if you've come, you know, for myself coming out of this movement for 18 years and seeing along the way that there were red flags of the, the color blindness to the red flags, not, uh, not just in my own life, but really seeing it in other people's lives as well, or the people that left or um, leaders that were treated in such a way or the, the things that were perpetuated in the in the ministry over the years. And realize this, I'm going to say this, and this is a a no brainer, but I'm just going to tell you this. You cannot expect that you're going to be healed overnight when you've been part of something for years, decades, decades. This is going to take time to heal. And true relationship with Jesus Christ is of priority. That is the first and foremost thing that we must have is true relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying that in a mystical way. I'm saying that based on what scripture tells us, based on the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we understand the true gospel of Jesus Christ. We understand salvation first and foremost. That may sound simplistic to you, but I would encourage you, if you've come out of these movements, you need to make sure that you have heard the true gospel. You need to make sure that you've heard the gospel that talks about that we have rebelled against God, that the wrath of God abides on us apart from Christ, and that we deserve the wrath of God. God brings judgment on those that reject him, that do not follow him and do not repent and receive him as Lord and Savior. But Jesus Christ brings the good news to our bad news. He brings the good news of his gospel, which is that he came, he satisfied the wrath of God on the cross, he finished it on the cross. He's redeemed us. He's reconciled us to the Father. The call is to repent and believe in Christ alone to save you. We have salvation by faith through Christ alone, by grace through faith in Christ alone, and that we are promised eternal life because our Savior, our Lord and Savior, it was resurrected, and He sits at the right hand of the Father. So I urge you, if you have not heard the true gospel, you need to make sure you need to do what 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says to test yourself if you are even in the faith. That's what Paul told the Corinthians. We need to be doing that. We need to make sure that we understand what it means to be clothed in his righteousness, what it means to be bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. We need to under make sure that we have heard the true gospel. And there are some of us and that have only heard partial gospel. Maybe you've heard nothing at all. I don't know where you are. But I do want to tell you is, is that you need to make sure that you're hearing the true gospel, the full gospel of Jesus Christ. And understand this, as a believer... He, he's going to heal your broken areas. He's going to heal. He's going to heal the broken hearts and he's going to bind up your wounds and he restores your soul. He's, he is the one that restores your soul. True relationship with Jesus Christ, right in a right standing with, with God is the pinnacle of what is going to help you to heal. That is paramount for your healing is to make sure I have heard the full gospel, the, the true gospel. I believe this. I repent of my sins being part of this because let's be honest. When we're in this movement, in these types of movements, we are not innocent in this. We have believed deception. We have believed lies. We have believed things that are contrary to the word of God. And we must get back to the truth. And so repentance on our part is necessary. in acknowledging our own error in this Asking God to forgive us and to help us, to be led by His Spirit. I know that's not easy. It's a painful process. It is very painful when you have to hold a mirror up to yourself and you realize the error that you perpetuated and that you walked in or that you believed. And you have to acknowledge that and repent before the Lord and ask Him to forgive you and ask Him to cleanse you and to help you to walk in the way that you should walk and, and to follow the narrow path that, that He leads us on. Biblical counseling is another thing to consider. Getting in a solid Bible teaching church is going to be very helpful to you. Do not be an island in and of yourself. Whenever I think about, as far as personally, what happened with us for my family, the heartache and the pain that we went through, there were times, and I told my husband, even though we went through this together, and at the time we only we had our daughter, we hadn't had her son, but I, I personally felt alone. And he felt the same way too. I didn't realize that he felt that way until I said something. But I felt alone. I felt like I was all by myself and nobody cared. And I had been discarded. That's how I felt and perceived that whole thing. It was awful. It was painful. It was. Um, it was one of the hardest things that I had gone through in my life. Where I, I felt I really felt like everything around me was just falling apart. Over that that first year, coming out, I started talking to people when I started working up the nerve to be able to talk about it, because there's such guilt in this, there's such fear that goes in this. Well, what if I say something? What's going to happen to me? You know, uh, you know, you ha- you have all these thought, all these things that have to be unraveled, of thinking. Well, what if I say something? Then something bad's going to happen to me because I came against an anointed person of God, or you know, what are these people going to think about me if I start speaking out and saying something? What's going to happen? Uh, you know, are they going to try to do something against me? You know, it, the, You have all these thoughts that are in your. Your mind that you're thinking in the midst of your brokenness before the Lord, trying to process everything. Sometimes we go back and try to relive some of those things and trying to think about, okay, where did I miss something? Did I was there something that happened here? Was there something that happened there? And you can do that, but you just don't want to stay in that place because you can drive yourself crazy trying to think about and and mull over and meditate on all those things. And you don't want to stay in a place either where it's going to just breed bitterness, where you begin to just to fester and think about and, 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 marinate uh, you begin to simmer you begin to simmer and think about all the bad things these people did to you and how you were manipulated and how you were lied about and 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 how the the truth was twisted and misconstrued and it wasn't even accepted and it wasn't even tolerated and the things that were done and you start to really think about those things and you can get into a place where you get embittered and it's and let me tell you this it's okay to be angry it's okay to have anger and to say I'm so angry with how, what happened to me. I was angry about that, too. I was also angry with myself for being so ignorant for so long. I mean, that was one of the biggest areas of anger I had to get over personally, being angry with myself of saying, what was wrong with you? Why couldn't you see this? It was there all along right in front of you. And it wasn't about forgiving myself. It was about asking God for forgiveness. I don't need to forgive myself. I need God to forgive me for what I did, for the error that I did, because it was sin against him. Ultimately, it was error that was not leading to him. That's who I was in sin against. So now I'm not going to ask myself for forgiveness. I ask God to forgive me, and whenever there's things that creep up, it's like an onion. It's it, the layers just keep coming off. Sometimes there are things that'll creep back up, creep like not creep back up, but there are things that'll come to the surface. I'll start. I'll be reading the Word, and I'm going up. Oh, there's another thing that I used to believe, or that I was taught wrong, and I have to go back to Scripture. But there's so many emotions that we can go through this. We go through fear. We go through anger. We go through sadness and despair. There was honestly despair that I felt coming out of this. There was horrible despair that I felt of going, what's going to happen? I don't know where to go. What do we do? Like, this is all I've known for 18 years. What do we do? I feel alone. I feel, I feel all these feelings. And it's okay to feel those feelings. Just don't stay in that place. Find someone that you can talk to that's maybe a, a, a good seasoned leader that's that's solid in Scripture. Talk to them. Don't be an island unto yourself. It's dangerous to do that, In to stay by yourself, and then you start thinking about... All the things that can happen to you. Some people battle depression with these things. Some people could even battle thoughts of suicide and other things with this that they feel hopeless. They feel worthless. They feel like there's nothing left to live for and no hope. There is hope. There's hope in Christ. He's the one that we turn to. He's the one that, again, he restores our soul. He's the one that's going to heal us. He heals our he heals us in our sins spiritual sickness of sin and he's going to heal us in these things that we go through in life that are unfair that are unjust or the things that are that we brought upon ourselves because we walked in ways that we shouldn't have but he's he's he is able and willing to heal us if we'll go to him if we'll cast our cares on him because he cares for us we cast all our anxieties on him. And ultimately, you need to be at peace with God. You need to realize that you can be at peace with God. This is not a merry-go-round where you have to keep going through all these emotions. I'm so thankful that I can look back on these things now, and there's tears that come but tears of joy, tears of thanksgiving to God. And looking back and going, God, you can use this. This is all going to be used for your good. I hate the fact that I was part of something for years where I believe such deception, but God, you're going to use this for your good because you work all things for the good of those who love you, who are called according to your purpose. If I'm talking to you and you've been in these situations and you don't know what to do and you're saying, well, it's easier said than done. I get that. I've been there and I get it. But you've got to find good biblical counsel, find a therapist you can talk to, even just talking to somebody. If you need to talk to somebody and to, to process what's going on. But really, it's good to find a good biblical counselor, if at all possible. Get in a good, solid Bible church. Talk to your pastor. You find a good, solid Bible-believing church that teaches the Word of God. Talk to your pastor. Ask questions. Find leaders that you can ask questions, that it's okay. And one of the things that I'm going to say here too, the last thing I'm going to tell you, and it's going to, some people do not like hearing it, but it's an important thing. You need to forgive those that have hurt you. You have to forgive them. That doesn't mean that you can't, I, you know, I'm on here addressing this and I, I know for certain that if this gets back to the leaders that I was under immediately, it's going to in maybe in their closed circles and they won't say anything publicly or they'll say something in an indirect way on social media, who knows, but. They may say, well, you know, we tried to help her. She's just broken and just keeps wanting to talk about it. Nope, I'm not broken anymore, and I'm not afraid anymore. The fear that I had of man, of anything happening to me for saying or speaking out or saying anything is gone. Because I want to help people. I want to help them come out of these situations and to not be broken and to not be in such a state to where they can't minister to others to the glory of God. This is going to glorify God. It's going to glorify my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in actually publicly saying something and saying there is spiritual abuse that takes place and it is wrong. And I forgive the leaders that I was under. I forgive them. And I sincerely pray for the mercy of God to be extended to them because they are teaching things for shameful gain. They should not teach. They are leading people astray. And this is an eternity situation here. This is an eternal issue. This is leading people down the primrose path to hell is what this is. When there is the false gospel that's being ministered, when it's being taught for shameful gain, when it's being, when, when the, the flock of God is being beaten And they're being metaphorically and they're being used to line that person's pockets for their own their own gain when they're manipulating people to use them for their own purposes. So that that way they can elevate themselves and they can climb the spiritual ladder of ministry and they view the the church as a business. And so was the allegiance and so was the submission unto that leader. And scripture was used in a incorrect way in an abusive way to say well there's rebellion going on here and you have to submit as we talked about there's godly submission but i want to leave you with this last thought here you have to forgive i say all that to say you have to forgive you you, you need to forgive those that that have hurt you that have mistreated you ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 says be kind to one another tenderhearted forgiving one another as god in christ forgave you i can't ask god to forgive me if i'm not willing to forgive those leaders Forgiveness means having no malice or ill will towards them and taking that before the Lord and saying, God, I forgive them. I forgive what they did. We need to forgive one another and to handle these things in the way that glorifies Christ. Maybe you're not in a place where you can go to that leader specifically and tell them that you forgive them and to, to do what you need to do. Maybe it wouldn't be welcomed because that person wouldn't acknowledge that there was anything that happened forgive. You must forgive and ask God to use what happened for his glory to minister to others. This has been the beautiful part as far as from my perspective as coming out of this situation. I hadn't been shipwrecked on some island and I was by myself. I began to talk to other people. People reached out to me. I talk to people on the phone. People email me. I get emails from halfway across the world sometimes. South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, Norway, Denmark. I've gotten from Ireland. I've gotten emails from people all from all over the world saying thank you for saying something. Thank you. And I give God the glory for that because in my own strength, I would not be able to talk about the things I've been able to talk about and let alone to not Want the Earth to open up and swallow those people whole. <laughs> because and and frankly, if there was justice that was to be done, i would in I would be in that hole as well if we were going to be just. Being able to talk about these situations and not wanting that for that person, but seeing the danger that lies ahead and wanting to issue urgent warnings and realizing I can't just reach out to this person because it wouldn't be welcomed, but wanting to say these things and to help other people and to realize when realizing this, that there were other people, it was a a double-edged sword. It was comforting and it was heartbreaking because I didn't want anyone else to go through what we had gone through. It was painful. It was difficult. But through that... God has brought forth such beauty in the midst of all that pain and difficulty and hardship. And if he helps one person with this, and there's slander that still comes with this and false accusations and name callings for me, but if it helps one person, then I'm okay with that because I want God to be glorified through all of this and for people to hear the truth and to really understand what it means to be whole in Christ, to be healed of this and be able to walk this out and to realize there is light at the end of this tunnel so I hope that this, um, all of this has been helpful to you. I pray that you're able to, to understand that there, uh, if you've come out of this, to understand there is healing in Christ. He is the only way to the Father. True salvation is, is going to bring you great joy, even though that there's pain and the hardships along the way. There is great joy in our uh, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who heals all of our broken areas. He heals us. And He cleanses us from all unrighteousness, and He's able to make us new, and the old passes away. And we're able to walk in in these ways and be at peace with God. To read our Word, to be uh, to get in a good, solid Bible-believing church, and to um, just to enjoy God in Spirit and Truth. So be blessed by this Word today. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at LovesickScribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.